You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. It's a great pleasure. I want to introduce our speaker for the morning, uh, Dr. Adam Greenway. Uh, Dr. Greenway is visiting with us today. He is with his wife, Carla, who I liked immediately when I found out she is from Georgia. So it um, always brings a little bit of spiritness in your life. Another uh, way to look at that. Bring his son, Wade and Caroline, uh, are also with him at 7 and 2. Uh, but something that's just really exciting to me is Dr. Greenway grew up in Frostproof. Uh, went to Frostproof High School. Uh, felt a call into ministry and is now the dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he is also a professor in the area of apologetics and evangelism. He is, when he left here, he went to college, I believe it was in Sanford, and then he went to Southwestern Seminary, uh, and then he did some additional work uh, at Notre Dame University. Uh, I'm going to make a comment. Then he got his Ph.D. from Southern. So think about this. Your faithful giving for many years allowed a young man to get a call of ministry in Frostproof to go and to get theological education and make a difference for the Lord and his glory and his kingdom to the ends of the earth because we do something together that we can never do alone. That's a great picture of the cooperative program in this Southern Baptist. I don't think we help fund the Notre Dame with a cooperative program giving, uh, but a great testimony. We were talking just a few moments ago, uh, one of our mission professors, Dr. George Martin, um, Sharon and I both had said many times, every time you would go into George Martin's class, you would leave his class and immediately call the International Mission Board because you felt so drawn to be on the foreign mission field. I did not know till the day that he was from Mulberry. Uh, and so what a great influence this part of our state has had. Dr. Greenway, will you come uh, and open up the word of life for us as you make your way up here? I want to have a word of prayer uh, and pray for you. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for Dr. Greenway, and I pray right now that you would just put the words on his mouth to share with us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would open up our mind and our ears and, more importantly, our heart uh, to the word. Uh, we pray that as we listen that you are glorified and that our life is changed for all eternity. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, let me uh, begin by just expressing what, uh, what a joy and a delight it is to be here at First Baptist Church Avon Park uh, on this Lord's Day. As um, your pastor mentioned, um, this area is, is home to me. In fact, uh, the first line on my resume or CV says, born January 16, 1978 in Avon Park, Florida, because there's no hospital in Frostproof, so you either have to go to Lake Wales or 
Avon Park to the old Walker Memorial Hospital, and that's where my mother and father decided to go. So all these years, uh, my birth certificate says Highlands County, uh, even though uh, I've only known uh, Frostproof as, uh, as home. But uh, what a joy and what a treat it is to be here. Uh, it's a joy to have not just my uh, beautiful uh, Georgia Peach wife. We've been married 14 years. Uh, our two children, my son Wade, our daughter Caroline's in your nursery. But uh, my mother and father are here and my sister and uh, other uh, dear friends, uh, Mike and Autumn Arms, Ken and Jan Hedgecock. I'm sure there are others of you here that I just haven't seen yet. Uh, it means the world to me to always have the chance to come back and preach in Central Florida. Uh, 23 years ago, uh, this past uh, June, uh, I surrendered to vocational ministry uh, and had no idea that um, I would one day live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, by the way, it gets cold in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, they have snow up there and other things that some of us still don't care a whole lot for, uh, as it were. But um, I found that giving God the benefit of the doubt is a whole lot better than thinking you can figure this out on your own. And when God writes the script, he always writes it better than anything I ever could have dreamed. I see Wannis and Pat Bowen. So good to see you, dear friends, here uh, this morning. So it is an honor to be here. And I do want to bring greetings from uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, native of Lakeland, Florida, and uh, all of us at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, the oldest of the six uh, SBC seminaries, the largest as well. We uh, will finish the academic year tomorrow, July 31. And we will be just at 5,500 students at Southern Seminary. Now, just to put that in, in perspective for you, the average seminary that is accredited in North America today only has 250 to 300 students. And if you take the six Southern Baptist seminaries together, over 20,000 people are preparing for some form of gospel ministry or mission service today and every one of them who is a Southern Baptist is receiving a 50% tuition discount because of the sacrificial giving through the cooperative program of churches like First Baptist Church Avon Park, Florida. And so, as your pastor said, every time I preach, the first word I always want to bring is a word of gratitude and thankfulness. Because your investment allowed me to earn three of my four degrees that I've achieved, but every week that you give, you help to pay for the education of the people who may one day pastor your grandchildren here at First Baptist Church Avon Park. That matters. And so thank you for that, for your partnership together in uh, the gospel and in training up the next generation of those world changers for Christ. We'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 2. If you have your copy of God's Word, either in print or electronic form, Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at the first uh, 12 verses here. And... Um, as your pastor mentioned, I am the dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism and Ministry, the only graduate school Billy Graham ever endorsed by allowing it to carry his name is the school that I'm privileged to serve as dean. And so evangelism is near and dear to my heart. But I would say to you that if you've been paying attention, you realize we're not as effective, it seems, in evangelism today as we once were. In fact, if you were following the events from our Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting last month, you will know our SBC president, Dr. Steve Gaines, appointed a national task force on evangelism. I was privileged to be named to that task force. We have our first meeting next month in Fort Worth, Texas. Appreciate your prayers for that. But um, I want to preach this morning on evangelism in particular, and especially what is it going to take from us to reach our community 
our city, our county, our state, our world for the cause and for the gospel of Christ. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is our text this morning. If you have found Mark chapter 2, let me invite you, if you would, to stand back up one more time. Let's honor the reading of the word of God together this morning. Can we do that? And let me just encourage you to follow along in your hearts as I share this word from God's word. This is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And this morning, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, which is the latest update of the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, if you're familiar with that translation. The Bible says when he, Jesus, entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them, Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. May I ask you a simple question this morning? When's the last time we gathered together in a church service for the worship, for the Word of God, where the power and the presence of God was so manifest And the Spirit of God showed up and began to do business in the hearts and lives of people where we walked out of that sanctuary saying, we've never seen anything like this. Would to God that would be true of us in this day and this time. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. Please be seated and may God richly bless the reading and study of his word together this morning. This is an absolutely powerful text. Mark chapter 2 comes uh, right on the heels of Mark chapter 1, of course, where we have the introduction to the life and ministry of Jesus. There, of course, in uh, Mark 1, 14, we see uh, Jesus beginning to proclaim the good news of God. Verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The first thing Jesus did was to proclaim the gospel message and to call people to respond in repentance toward God and faith in himself, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His was a ministry committed to evangelism. That is to say, he saw his work as helping those who were lost to be found. Those who were separated from God to be reconciled to God. And yes, those who were sick and spiritually dead to experience new life and health. 
And as you know, that's the marching orders that he gave to the church. Five times we find the Great Commission, once in each of the four Gospels and in Acts chapter 1. But unfortunately, it seems, as we look around the landscape, uh, that we're not really as effective in evangelism today as we once were. In fact, if you look at our Southern Baptist uh, baptismal statistics, and of course you know that uh, not every baptism is a conversion baptism. Sometimes we baptize the Methodists who got sprinkled to get their baptism right. So not every baptismal statistic is actually a conversion baptism, but that's the metric we have to use to evaluate how we're doing. The reality is that Southern Baptists, the greatest uh, evangelical body this nation has ever known, we are baptizing no more people today than we did in the 1950s. Now some of you actually were around in the 1950s. Some of you can remember the 1950s here in Avon Park and in Highlands County. And my guess is you would also be able to identify the numerous ways things have changed in Avon Park and Highlands County since the 1950s. In the 1950s, the population of our country was less than half of what it is today. And yet we're baptizing no more people today than we did in the 1950s. In fact, sadly... About one in five of our Southern Baptist churches will somehow make it through the year 2017. And when they submit their annual church profile, will record zero baptisms. Zero. None. That means in a given calendar year, we'll have Southern Baptist churches that will somehow go 52 weeks, 365 days, and not see one person come to Christ. Not see one person stir the waters of baptism not see one life that they could record that was changed by the power and the glory and the grace of God which really begs I think an existential question at what point do you cease to be a New Testament church if you could make it through an entire calendar year in our culture and context and not see one person one to faith in Christ God have mercy on us. This is a serious issue within our tribe. And the reality is, not that I think Southern Baptists are the only ones going to heaven, but let's be honest, as we see what is happening in many other Christian traditions and denominations and circles today where they're arguing about things that the Bible is not uh, unambiguous about, I believe as Southern Baptists go the fate of evangelicalism and Christianity in America goes. And therefore, this is a significant issue. For years, we were able to say, because of our conservative theology, we were growing while other denominations were declining, but now that decline has come even to us. And in the midst of talk about task forces and strategies and plans and programs, I actually believe that the solution to our dilemma is, is, is pretty straightforward. It, it, it's actually very uh, simple. In fact, you really don't even have to have a PhD from Southern Seminary to grasp this. And here's the reality. Fewer of us who name the name of Christ and call ourselves members of the local visible church are actually sharing our faith, leading people to Christ and bringing them to Jesus. I mean, that's deep, isn't it? I mean, here's the reality. 100% of those that we do not share Jesus with will not respond. 
That's brilliant, isn't it? 100% of those we do not witness to will not respond. And unfortunately, particularly in our church culture and subculture, we've too often relied upon cultural privileges and advantages to help us in ways that we maybe didn't appreciate how much they were helping us until they start to fade away like they are today. See, there was a time here in Avon Park, I'm sure, as was true in Frostproof and other parts of Central Florida, the Heartland, where, um, you know, going to church was just the right thing to do. It was the culturally not just acceptable but expected thing to do. And so people would come into town and well, the first place they want to come visit would be First Baptist Church because First Baptist Church is right in the center of town. That's where not just your spiritual leaders are, hopefully, but your community leaders, your business leaders, your political leaders, other leaders and such. And so being a part of First Baptist Church is, is just important. It's just the way life happens around here. It, it builds social capital to be a part of First Baptist Church. But unfortunately, given the declension we are seeing all around us, the cultural confusion and chaos that is now enveloping us, for those who are going to be serious about maintaining the gospel and the faith once and for all delivered unto the saints, the reality is it is now going to not just not gain you social capital by being part of us, it's going to cost you social capital to be part of us. Because for years, the culture in the church, at least certainly here in the South, were on parallel tracks. But increasingly, as we see what's happening in our culture where the culture is veering hard off in one direction and the church cannot waver or move the chasm between the culture and the church has never been greater than it is today how quickly have things changed well consider this it was just 20 years ago two decades ago that not one legal jurisdiction on the planet had a definition of a marriage as something other than one man and one woman in one relationship now your Highlands County clerk has to use marriage licenses for other types of relationships that the state has now been legally forced to define as a marriage. And by the way, if Jesus tarries, cheer up because the craziness and the worst is yet to come. And for years we could say, oh, that stuff happens up in Massachusetts. All those crazy liberals up there, out in California with all those left coast nuts out there. And here it's come even to Highlands County. Let's get our heads out of the sand and realize what is happening all around us. And the reality is for years we took advantage of cultural privilege and the fact you could be like the Field of Dreams, build your church, they'll just come to it, put the sign out front, they're going to come, they all know where we are. No longer is that the case. That's why I'm particularly drawn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is an extraordinary text. It begins, when he entered Capernaum again. Well, of course, if he entered Capernaum again, that means he'd already entered Capernaum once. And we have that recorded for us there in Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 21, they went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as one of the scribes. And of course, that provokes a reaction. We have this man with the unclean spirit that Jesus rebukes and cast out. Verse 27, they were all amazed. And so they began to ask one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And news begins to spread. Then we have this uh, scene where he goes into Simon's uh, mother-in-law's 
domicile and heals her. Verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. He heals many. Word is beginning to spread, get this, that Jesus is in the life-changing business. So what happens? Jesus is in the life-changing business, and there are people who want to have their lives changed, and they're getting to Jesus. So we enter into Mark chapter 2. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Jesus was in the house. And as a result, so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. I mean, they're breaking the fire codes here. Can you believe that? You can't get anybody else in. So packed. They all want to be with Jesus. Verse 3, they. Now, we don't get the name of the they. It's not important. They came to him, Jesus, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Now, we just kind of blow on through that, but you need to camp out on that verse just for a little bit, okay? Because I don't think we necessarily appreciate the enormity of what is happening here. Now, evidently, this paralyzed man, again, we don't get his name either, it's not important. This paralyzed man had heard that Jesus was in the healing business. Word began to spread. It got around. Jesus was in the healing business. This paralyzed man needs to be healed. Okay? So, you got a man that needs to be healed. you got a man that's in the healing business. If we can get these two guys together, magic can happen. Right? But he's paralyzed. Which means he can't get to Jesus by himself. He's got to have help. In fact, people could have said to that paralyzed man, Son, if you could just get to Jesus, he could change your life. And go on their way. And leave him there. But that wouldn't be compassion. That wouldn't be helpful. That'd be hurtful. They didn't just tell him that Jesus could change his life. They did for him what he couldn't do for himself. They brought him to Jesus. Now, if we take seriously the New Testament teaching about the spiritual condition of humanity apart from Christ, the Bible says that we are in a spiritual condition just like this paralyzed man. We are immobile. In fact, Paul writes in Romans, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, as a pastor, I've done a funeral or two in my time, and I've been to other funerals, others have officiated. And here's what I've noticed about funerals, and I'm sure you've picked up on this too. I know that when that casket is down front in the center of the sanctuary and that dead body is there, that dead body did not get in that casket by himself. Did he? He didn't put on that suit by himself. He didn't fold his hands perfectly like this by himself. He had to have somebody do it for him. Why? Because he's dead. He is immobile. 
He is incapacitated. He can do nothing for himself. That is the New Testament picture of our spiritual condition apart from Christ. We are not just wounded. We are paralyzed. We are dead. So here's what that means. We can put up a sign out front that says, First Baptist Church, y'all come. And people are still going to drive by. Because there is nothing within them that motivates or moves them to just come in unassisted by grace. And see, for too long, we relied upon our advertising strategies, our marketing strategies. Build your beautiful sanctuary, put a sign out front. Everybody knows where they are. When they want to come, they'll come. As if the burden is on them to come. When the great commission of our Lord and Savior Jesus still begins with the words, go. Go. In fact, as he told in one parable, go out in the highways and hedges and, and bring them in. Why? Because they can't come in. In and of themselves. This paralyzed man could have been told over and over again, go to Jesus. He'll change your life. There he is. And he'd still never been able to make it without help. And evidently these four friends, notice not just one friend, four friends. Four friends loved this man enough and evidently believed enough in the life-changing power of Jesus that they were going to work together to do what none of them could do alone. Let me tell you another one of the dirty little secrets we kind of had in the church for a long time. We had this mentality in the church that, um, you know, really it's the pastor's job to do all the evangelism in the church. That's why we pay you, pastor. It's because you're to do the evangelism. In fact, we'll evaluate your success in evangelism by how many people you get down the aisle on Sunday morning. And so the more people down the aisle, the better preacher you are. The more effective you are. Nobody's walking the aisle. Pastor, something's wrong with you. But here's what I've noticed. If we don't have any lost people in the sanctuary, there's nobody's going to walk the aisle. Amen. I'll say if nobody else will. And one man, no matter how blessed and gifted he is to be a Billy Graham School graduate of Southern Seminary, despite the fact he's a Georgia Bulldog, he ought to know better. We're Florida Gators down here. Can I get a witness? But no matter how gifted and talented and blessed this man is, there's no way he in and of himself can do all the evangelism that God has commissioned the church to do together. He's not Superman. He's not the Messiah. He's a man. And his responsibility as the pastor is to equip the body so together you can all go out and do the work of evangelism. But churches who think that just because they call the right pastor, he's got the right personality type, preaches the right kind of sermons, and he can pack the place out, forget that no one man can do it all. The Great Commission was given to the church. It's our responsibility to work together to do what none of us can do alone. God didn't call him to save Avon Park. He called you. That's why God birthed this church reach Avon Park, Highlands County, Florida, the world for Christ. And, just like we have to work together to do what none of us can do alone, 
we got to realize there are going to be challenges. So they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they decided to go back home and wait for another time. Is that what happened? No, but that's what a lot of us would have done. We're, we're a fickle lot. I mean, you think about, and I'll pick on Southeastern Conference football since that is a passion of mine come uh, fall. No better way to spend a Saturday in the fall than watching SEC football all day long. Okay? And I've noticed something. Have y'all noticed, especially, uh, again, if, if, if you get up to a, a game at Gainesville or, or Athens or Lexington or any of these places, have you noticed people take the football pretty seriously in these parts? Have you noticed that they'll get up to the stadium hours before the game is going to kick off and they'll do that tailgating, right? And oftentimes they'll still be tailgating while the game's going on outside because they're enjoying the game's going on inside because they enjoy more, more what's happening outside. Hope the game goes into overtime. Stay for every minute. Stand for three, four hours straight. Why don't we ever tailgate at church? Why, why don't we ever get here about 7.30 on Sunday morning and start praying for the pastor and praying for your worship team and choir and praying for your student ministry and praying for every seat in this building that would be filled with somebody who needs to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus, praying for this altar to be filled, praying for people to respond in repentance and faith toward God? Why don't we ever do that? Why is it we get fidgety and agity if joy makes us stand too long during the song service? Or if John preaches too far past 12 or 12, 15? Or are we seeing 10 verses of just as I am because the altar's filling up, people responding to Christ? Why, why, why is that the case? Why is it that we can go four hours at the ball game, standing the whole time, it can be hot, cold, or rainy, or all of the above in Central Florida, and gnats be buzzing. I mean, people be loud and obnoxious. Somebody spill his beer on you and whatever else. And man, we're loving every second of that. But we get the least bit of discomfort here, and we complain. And bless your heart if it starts to rain. It only takes 19 drops of rain to keep 20 Baptists out of church, <laughs> and about nine snowflakes in my part of the world. Why is that? Too many of us, if we'd have gotten there and quickly saw that there wasn't an easy way to get to Jesus, we'd have given up and gone on back. Praise God for these friends. Because they weren't going to let a little crowd or a little challenge stymie them. They couldn't go in the front door. They couldn't go in the side door. Couldn't go in the back door. Couldn't go in through a window. So what do they do? Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. They got creative. They were so determined to bring him to Jesus that it didn't matter what the challenge was. They were going to find a way to get that man there because they wanted to see their friend's life changed. Would to God that we had that kind of passion and determination to see our family and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors one to Christ. We'd see revival in Avon Park, my friends, if we had this kind of focus. And notice what the Bible says, seeing their faith. You notice that? Not just the paralytic's faith. 
their faith, the friend's faith. Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, of course, there are the critics there, scribes, sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, hello, that's the point, isn't it? Right away, Jesus perceives this in his spirit, that they were thinking, they hadn't said a thing, but he knows our hearts. Even our lips aren't moving, he knows our real intentions and attitudes and thoughts and dispositions. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Now, I want to just make a little side point here. Uh, we live in a day and age where people are almost enamored, fascinated, fixated upon physical things. Physical healings, physical prosperity, all that kind of stuff. Jesus, instead of taking the physical healing and making that the centerpiece out of which he could have kept the crowds going for, for endless times, said, that's not really the real issue. The real issue isn't his physical paralysis, it's his spiritual paralysis. It's his sin condition. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God. By the way, what's the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When you see the works of God displayed, how can you not give glory to God? They gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, if the Spirit would have chosen, I think the next line could have been Jesus saying, and you ain't seen nothing yet. Because you keep reading on, and that's what we see all throughout the Gospels. I've noticed uh, doing what I do, uh, I just began my 11th year on faculty at Southern Seminary, 5th year as the dean. I'm going to start this coming Sunday, my 13th interim pastorate at my 12th church in six states. My motto is, have sermon, we'll travel. And I've noticed something about churches. When I'm going into a church, I'll oftentimes ask pastor, leadership, whatever, what's your evangelism strategy for the church? And they'll often say, we don't have one. And I'll say, well, I think you need to get one. Something. See, for years, we always equated evangelism with a particular methodology. Some of us remember EE, Evangelism Explosion, CWT, Continual Witness Training, Faith, Sunday School Evangelism. Some of us remember tent revivals and bus ministry and vacation Bible school and all those kind of things. In fact, that was one of the benefits of growing up in Frostproof. I'm sure it was true here in Avon Park when I was growing up in Frostproof. Every church in town. If you know Frostproof, First Baptist Church, my home church, right in the center of town. Methodist Church across the street. Presbyterian Church about a block over. Church of Christ right over here. Assembly of God was about two blocks over. Church of God about two blocks down. Every church had a vacation Bible school, and they were smart. 
They all put them on different weeks in the summertime where the parents could get rid of the kids for six to eight weeks every summer. I mean, it was a great racket, as it were, right? We too often have confused evangelism with a particular methodology. How many of you remember going door-to-door visitation on Monday nights or Tuesday nights or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, whenever it was? And I'm not knocking any of these things. I'm simply saying there is no one particular methodology that can work as a silver bullet to do everything you want it to do. Especially today. Because if you try to do door-to-door visitation too often on Monday nights at 7 o'clock, guess what you're going to find? Fewer and fewer people are at home. Because they got ball practice and ballet practice and other things. By the way, if they are home, they don't want to see you. Uninvited and uninterrupted. We've got to be more creative in what we do. But our methodologies have to flow first and foremost from our mindset. That we see ourselves as living on mission for Christ. That I see whatever it is that I do, whether I'm a banker or a financial planner or work for the city or teach high school or whatever it may be that I do. I see what I'm doing not just as a means of earning a paycheck, not just as a means of of providing for my family. I see what I do as living on mission, trying to do everything I can through my words and my witness to take as many people to Jesus as I possibly can. Because to be honest, the only thing that separates First Baptist Church Avon Park from every other worthy community organization and nonprofit entity in this county is the fact God entrusted you all with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of other folks can run basketball camps, give away food, give away school supplies, go bowling together, have a lot of great things going on. Only you all have the privilege and have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach Avon Park for his glory. Let's do it. Time is short. The need is great. Let's recommit ourselves afresh and anew to doing everything we can to making it as difficult as possible for somebody to die and to go to hell from Avon Park, Florida. Will we do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. God, you are so wonderfully good to us. You are better than we deserve. Because, Father, what we deserve is death and hell. What we deserve is to be eternally separated from you. But, Father, you have given to us everything. Eternal life in Christ, abundant life in Christ. Victory, yes, in Jesus. I pray for these dear people. And, Father, they've been so good this morning. I pray, oh, Lord, you would take this word and just plant it deep into the hearts and minds of every person here, not one person here by accident, but everyone by divine appointment this morning. Lord, I do pray if there's someone here this morning who does not know Christ as their Savior and Lord, oh God, may today be the day of salvation. May they come turning from their sin in repentance and trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord by faith alone. For others who need to make spiritual decisions, I pray you'll grant them great grace to respond. Bless us, O Lord, as we continue now in this time of worship and response. For we ask and we pray all these things by the Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe you're here this morning.